Campfire Classics is a classic literature podcast. However, your hosts will occasionally use not-so-classy language and immature humor to describe very mature situations. As such, listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ken Sandberg. And I'm Emily Boscom. Welcome to Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. And rock the fuck out! (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I forgot vulgar. No, that's Real good. Quick. That's good. I like it. We got the first F-bomb out of the way right <laughs> off the bat. Like, like 0.3 milliseconds into the pod. Yeah, which should let <laughs> listeners know that uh, fortunately there is a uh, a disclaimer at the beginning of this there podcast is. that lets people yes. know that we sometimes use adult language and sort of immature um, things. Yeah, yeah. We act it's all like good. children. Or sailors. Yar. Yar. Is that a pirate? That's a pirate. That would be a pirate, yeah. Which is a type of sailor. Oh, he's a, the other sailors. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I'm still I'm still within the confines. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I went yar as well. That's fine. Thank you so much. Yeah. Because <laughs> otherwise, I mean, what's a sailor sound like? Yo-ho. Like, all I can do is think of that song, The Little Mermaid, where they're like, mysterious fathoms below. Like, unless you're going to do a full shanty song, Yar is going to have to do. Yar's great. Or you can, what do you do with a drunken sailor? What do you do oh, with yeah. a drunken sailor? What do you do with a drunken sailor early in the morning? <laughs> or there's there's that sort of sea shanty-esque wailing song that was going around, I think, TikTok for a while. Um, oh, I don't know that specific yeah, one, but there is a whole put to sea in the name of the oh, ship. Yeah. Give me the yeah. B boys. <laughs> wow. If the story today has anything to do with sailing or pirates, we are actually like psychic, <laughs> omniscient. Um, I don't think so, but there is an outside chance. Um, given who the author is, there is an outside chance that something about sailing will show up. All right, hit me with it. I don't think so, but it's possible. However, uh, before we get to that, um, I I had a couple of thoughts I wanted to share because I am perusing the the daily calendar that is sitting next to sitting next to me on the desk where I'm recording right now. And I uh, it is a history channel, this day in history calendar. And um, looking from today when we are recording, so we're recording this episode a little early, Thursday, February 3rd, uh, and it is going to come out on uh, Tuesday, February 8th. So listeners, that's what we're dealing with. Um, but there, there, are, there are some fun on this day of histories in the, the sort of five days in between. So today- You love a fun fact. I do, do, I do. Today in history, February 3rd, just a few years ago, in 2005, Alberto Gonzalez became the first Hispanic U.S. Attorney General. Woo! Yes! Let's right? go, Hispanic! Just, just like, but like... My Colombian soul loves it. And, and that, like, that's super cool, but it never, it never ceases to amaze me how recently some of those things... Like, that's 17 years oh, ago. Oh, yeah. I know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, it's exciting, it's but it's also kind of sad. Yeah. It's wild. Um, yeah. So there's that one. 
then on uh, February 5th, which is this coming Saturday, uh, the Southern Pacific Railroad completed its sunset route. But that's not the interesting one from the weekend because on February 6th, I mean, realistically, that's the more important one. But this is this is the in my lifetime interesting fact. 1988, February 6th, Michael Jordan slam dunks from the free throw line. Oh, for the first time uh, it's i mean it was it it was a, wow. it was a f- famous event michael jordan yeah. slam dunking from the free throw line uh cool. monday february 7th in 1964 the beatles arrive in america for the first time Ooh. and then on the day this episode drops february 8th tuesday in 1965 the supremes drop their song stop in the name of love before you break my heart oh my they, god they drop Great. it gearing up for valentine's day i love it what year was that 1965 65 i'm remembering a project i had to do in middle school where like we were split into group for history class or no i think it was high school yeah it was high school and we had to like split into groups and each group would tackle like a different decade so my group was responsible for like doing a presentation on like the cultural whatever of the 60s sure and i just remember like i don't know why there was some law or something was happening with reading and but we were like oh let's use a song from the time period and adapt it so we very intelligently and cleverly made the song stop and go read a book <laughs> So, just like mortifying and there were definitely other lyrics but i can't remember them but you know what we did get an a on that project i trust and believe we got an a so awesome <laughs> but i'll that. never i'll never hear the song without thinking of you know awkward high school me being like stop and go read a book with like a hand motion readers i mean listeners readers listeners you have to imagine i'm opening most, most my hands like a most of our listeners fly. also read um True. Also, for the record, Stop and Go Read a Book could be the theme song to this podcast. You're right. <laughs> Wait a minute. Ding, ding, ding. Should we record this? We can't get like dog for copyright infringement if we change the lyrics, right? Probably uh, still good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unless we can find a, a way to make it um, a parody or analysis of the original mm. song. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fair it use. is a parody. Like, if come on, Supremes, you have enough money. If, just let us do use, it. Fair use doesn't cover just stealing the music and rewriting the lyrics. It's like <laughs> you, you need to be you need to be making some sort of parody, social commentary, something or other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Believe me, I did a boatload of research on this, like <laughs> close to two years ago when we were first getting this thing, getting this, oh, this yeah. podcast up and running. Because oh, I, I, I bet you wanted sure to cover. All sorts of songs. Well, songs, but also like the same applies for for books and stories that we might want to read. Like it has to be has to be public domain or fair use. And what we are doing is not fair use. (laughs) Although I suppose if we analyzed it a little bit more, it could fall under fair use. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I don't want to go to jail. So cut that whole story. The world will never know how cute and dorky I was in high school. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the statute of limitations is up on that okay, particular good. Okay, good. Um, misdemeanor. <laughs> okay, good. I have, a, I have a spotless record, okay? I can't go to jail. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, um, 
but uh, also before uh, before we move on to the thing that we really do, um, because I just really love stretching this opening bit out. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I have gotten a couple of messages, uh, from people after last week's episode and I'm not, uh, they didn't sign names, so I'm not going to give names, but if you're the one who messaged these to us and you want me to announce who you are on the podcast, shoot me a message and I'll let you know. Um, oh my God, is it about puzzles? It is. It's, it's, <gasps> we, I got, we got two messages about puzzles. Oh! Guys, I'm so excited. Um, I have a couple of chunks done. I want you all to know that. A little bit of the puzzle has been done, and I'm proud right. of myself. It's um, very hard, though. It's very difficult. So bring it on. <laughs> so, uh, well, so the first message is puzzles are awesome. Yes, Yay! what Ken said. Always start with the edge pieces. Also, mm. I have to put my puzzle board away whenever I take a break because my cat likes to chew on puzzle pieces. Yep, yep. That a hundred percent correct. Although I, I am happy to report that Lucy, for whatever reason, has not yet. I've just been really good about not spilling them on the floor, and she hasn't gotten a piece yet that I know of. Now, I mean, we'll see if when I get to the end, <laughs> there's one gone, we'll know where it is. But <laughs> I, I, I feel like sometimes you open up a puzzle and there's already a piece missing, though. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's just the nature. It of might beast. not. It might not be the dog's fault. <laughs> right. Uh, the, the second one, the second message from an unnamed, um, listener is, uh, I mean, it's, oh my God, but it's OMG. Um, yeah. Cool. The way you say that is, oh my God. Uh, OMG, I'm with Emily. Uh, I never knew you're supposed to start with the outside. I'm going to try one now. Thank you. Okay, now I don't feel like such a dumb dumb. I didn't think I really never thought of that, but that is really smart. Yeah. Thanks, listeners. Oh, um, so yeah, people people writing in and responding. And if I love it. If you write in and do not sign or do not say, go ahead and and say who I am, then I'm not gonna say who you are. If you write in and sign the thing with a name, I'm gonna read your name. Um, so just let that be known. And for anyone who wants to, uh, shoot us a message, you can email us at 5050artsproduction at gmail.com. That is the email address of, um, the production company that, uh, that sort of oversees this, um, podcast. Uh, or you can shoot us a message on any of the social medias. Just look for Campfire Classics podcast. Yay. This is giving me motivation to, I want to, when the puzzle's completed, I want to take a picture of it and put it up for the listeners to see. Yeah, do it. <laughs> Great. Love it. Hold me, someone hold me accountable or this thing's going to sit on my, <laughs> on my dining room table forever and we're never going to get to eat a family meal there. <laughs> my mom is like, it's my birthday in two weeks. We're going to have a family dinner on the table. I'm like, nope, we're going to have it on little folding tables in front of the TV because my puzzle is on that table and it's not moving. <laughs> two weeks you can get it done in two weeks you think all right okay i'm gonna try i mean yeah i know you would do it one day but i take a thousand a thousand pieces by (laughs) myself it might take me two yeah two days yeah oh yeah yeah he's like brushing imaginary dirt off his shoulders right now listeners just so you know however (laughs) this podcast is not a podcast about me bragging about how cool i am it is this is not what we do a literature podcast where we take turns reading (laughs) short stories uh stories that we've selected come out of the public domain 
uh, as we were discussing, public domain is a really good way to make sure that you don't get sued. And this week, I have chosen a story for Emily to read. This story is, is by an author that uh, we have covered on the podcast before at least once, maybe twice. I don't remember exactly. Uh, a guy named Howard Phillips Lovecraft. Ooh. H.P. Lovecraft has been the subject of much contentious conversation. He had well-known racially problematic views, to put it mildly. Fortunately, he's dead and has been for years. And because his works are in the public domain, we can use them without paying anyone. So don't worry. H.P. Lovecraft, racist as he may have been, is not making any money off of us reading his stories. Love it. We don't want any money in his pocket. Absolutely not. So this week, Emily, you'll be reading a Lovecraft story. So here are a few other quirky little facts about him, uh, which I collected from the H.P. Lovecraft website, an article in The Guardian written for his birthday in 2014, and as is often the case from Wikipedia. Uh, Lovecraft was well known to be gaunt, pale and kind of odd looking part of that at least the paleness was because he apparently rarely went outside during daylight hours this became more and more true as he got older and more reclusive oh he's a vampire well he was like i mean you know lovecraft he was well known for his creepy eldritch horror writing so Mm -hmm. certainly that speculation has been made He got married when he was 34 years old in 1924. His wife claimed that he was a virgin when they got married and that he had read extensively about sex and studied several books leading up to their wedding night in hopes of being able to perform adequately. (laughs) So sad. (laughs) Apparently throughout their marriage, he had a... um, a low enough sex drive that she also commented on that after he died, that like any time they were intimate, well, was, was she, was the one who, she was she the one who on instigated. I did, uh, I did not, I did not read a report on how he performed on their wedding night. Apparently she was willing to say a lot, but she wasn't going to go that far. Oh my God. She didn't, she didn't detail, um, inches. Oh, that's, that's what you get when you're racist. You get all your teeth spilled for everybody. <laughs> Too bad, buddy. That's karma. Um, His parents both went to Butler Hospital Mental Institute separately, where they both died separately, 21 years apart. No one is certain exactly what they suffered from since the records of their admission were destroyed in a fire at the hospital. That that's suspicious. That is mm-mm. right. Oh God! Especially given what he wrote about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he attempted as a young man repeatedly to join the military, but his mother stopped him at every turn. He once claimed she threatened to do anything, legal or otherwise, to prove that he was unfit for service. Oh, shit. <laughs> He claimed to have been an atheist from a young age. When he learned that Santa Claus wasn't real at five years old, he began questioning whether or not God was also a myth. (laughs) 
Honestly, that's pretty valid. That is. That's that's a real like world rocking revelation right yeah. there. <laughs> uh, he was a lifelong teetotaler, which means he never drank. And he was a huge supporter of prohibition when it happened. <sighs> Square. Uh, and he died of cancer relatively young. I think he was 47 and was buried in a family plot. But his fans decided he should have something grander. So he had a headstone memorial built for him later. But that's not where his body is. It's like a separate headstone where his body isn't, which became kind of funny when a truly rabid fan decided to try to dig up his corpse but oh gave up God. when she couldn't find a body under his tombstone. <laughs> I love that idea. Just digging in vain for like eight hours and you've gone well below six feet under and there's no person <laughs> there. <laughs> and with that, let's read a story. Uh, this week yeah. we'll be reading the 1920 short story, The Picture in the House. Ooh. Let's start this fire. The Picture in the House Searchers after horror haunt strange, far places. For them are the catacombs of Ptolemaeus and the carven mausolea of the nightmare countries. They climb to the moonlit towers of ruined Rhine castles and falter down black cobwebbed steps beneath the scattered stones of forgotten cities in Asia. The haunted wood and the desolate mountain are their shrines and they linger around the sinister monoliths on uninhabited islands. But the true epicure in the terrible, to whom a new thrill of unutterable ghastliness is the chief end and justification of existence, esteems most of all the ancient lonely farmhouses of backwoods New England. For there... <laughs> pretty ridiculous for there yeah i get it there's lots of creepy stuff in graveyards and in ruined cities across europe and asia and you can find hauntings in german castles and all through greece but you want to see the really (laughs) fucked up shit go to massachusetts yeah (laughs) (laughs) exactly Yeah, damn. Drag New England, okay? (laughs) For there, the dark elements of strength, solitude, grotesqueness, and ignorance combine to form the perfection of the hideous. (laughs) Oh, snap! Sorry, Boston. Okay. Listen, I was about to say, like, I'm hearing, I'm hearing in the distance a horde of angry Bostonians just like coming for this author. <laughs> what the fuck you say about my sound? H.P. Lovecraft coming for Boston. Whoa! To be fair, he's in New England, but I mean, wait, yeah. Boston's mm. in New England. No, I know. I'm just saying it could be other places in New England, but it's funny to think about angry Bostonians. Yeah. <laughs> well, like New England. You know, it's that's that's the Patriots. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who are based oh, on yeah. Boston? Oh, I, I went to college. Any day that they were playing, that the Sox were playing at Fenway, it was absolute chaos, just chaos, absolute Dionysian madness in the streets. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Most horrible of all sights are the little unpainted wooden houses, <laughs> remote. Traveled ways, usually squatted upon some damp, grassy slope, or 
leaning against some gigantic outcropping of rock. Two hundred years and more they have leaned or squatted there, while the vines have crawled and the trees have swelled and spread. What's this dude's deal? That sounds super cute. I know. Like, I want a vacation I'm like, there. I want to go to there. Right? <laughs> they are almost hidden now in lawless luxuriances of green and guardian shrouds of shadow. But the small paned windows still stare shockingly, as if blinking through a lethal stupor which wards off madness by dulling the memory of unutterable things. In such houses have dwelt generations of strange people, <laughs> whose like the world has never seen. Seized with a gloomy and fanatical belief which exiled them from their kind, their ancestors sought the wilderness for freedom. There, the scions of a concrete race indeed flourished free from the restrictions of their fellows, but cowered in an appalling slavery to the dismal phantasms of their own minds. Oh, is he talking about, like, witchcraft and stuff? I'm not, I'm not sure. I feel like, right? the, like they, the paragraph like he's talking will about continue Puritans, to like, explain, but yeah, I think it's about the, like, the Puritan yeah, pilgrims right. who showed up right. and went away from the rest of the, the right. I mean, what did he but call But then they them? found scarier stuff there. Yeah. The, uh, conquering race. There we go. Went away from the rest yeah. of the conquering race. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, went to live in the woods. Right. And got weird. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah, it got weird. Duh, I see it right now. Divorced from the enlightenment of civilization, the strengths of these Puritans, there we go, <laughs> turned into singular chant. Maybe I should just read it and not wonder aloud. It is, it's hard not to, It is though. amazing to me how often on this podcast we stop to question what that line yeah. meant or what the fuck is going on, and half a sentence later we have the answer. Like, yeah, yeah just course. fucking read. Right. It's like um, don't yell at me. <laughs> it's it's like uh, it's like watching a movie with that friend who hasn't seen the movie yet and wants to know that everything is going to be okay. And they're like, "Hey, oh. who is that? Wait, is he going to die? Hey, who's that oh, person? Yeah. Wait, just watch the fucking movie." Oh, that that is my mother. That is that person is my mother. <laughs> okay. Divorced from the enlightenment of civilization, the strength of these Puritans turned into singular channels, and in their isolation, morbid self-repression, and struggle for life with relentless nature, there came to them dark furtive traits from the prehistoric depths of their cold northern heritage. By necessity practical and by philosophy stern, these folks were not beautiful in their sins. Erring as all mortals must, they were forced by their rigid code to seek concealment above all else so that they came to use less and less taste in what they concealed. Only the silent, sleepy, staring houses in the backwoods can tell all that has lain hidden since the early days, and they are not communicative, being loath to shake off the drowsiness which helps them forget. Sometimes one feels that it would be merciful to tear down these houses, for they must often dream. Oh, poor houses. It's <laughs> so sad. If these walls could talk, they would scream in horror. Right, basically. It was to a time-battered edifice of this description that I was driven one afternoon in November, 1896, by a rain of such chilling copiousness that any shelter was preferable to exposure. I had been traveling for some time amongst the people of the Miskatonic Valley in quest of certain genealogical data, and from the remote, devious, and problematical nature of my course, had deemed it convenient to employ a bicycle despite the lateness of the season. <laughs> 
just biking out in Massachusetts. So I'm, I'm riding, riding my bike along the so river riding valley. Riding the bike. Yeah. In the winter. Now I found myself upon an apparently abandoned road, which I had chosen as the shortest cut to Arkham, overtaken by the storm at a point far from any town, and confronted with no refuge save the antique and repellent wooden building, which blinked with bleared windows leafless elms near the foot of a rocky hill. Distant though it is from the remnant of a road, this house nonetheless impressed me unfavorably the very moment I espied it. <laughs> I hated it on sight. It looked shady right from Honest. the get-go. Oh my god, he takes it so personal. Honest, wholesome structures do not stare at travelers so slyly and hauntingly. <laughs> my god. And in my genealogical researches, I had encountered legends of a century before which biased me against places of this kind. Yet the force of the elements was such as to overcome my scruples, and I did not hesitate to wheel my machine up the weedy rise to the closed door, which seemed at once so suggestive and secretive. Spooky lair. I had somehow taken it for granted that the house was abandoned, yet as I approached it, I was not so sure, for though the walls were overgrown with weeds, they seemed to retain their nature a little too well to argue complete desertion. Therefore, instead of trying the door, I knocked, feeling as I did so a trepidation I could scarcely explain. As I waited on the rough, glossy rock that served as a doorstep, I glanced at the neighboring windows and the panes of the transom above me, and noticed that although old, rattling, and almost opaque with dirt, they were not broken. The building, then, must still be inhabited, despite its isolation and general neglect. However, my rapping evoked no response. So after repeating the summons, I tried the rusty latch and found the door unfastened. This is the part where I start yelling at the movie screen, don't go in there! Right? Don't go in there! <laughs> yeah, why, why, why are you going in there? Why are you going just in don't, there? Find another house, dude. Or yep. like, just, just get wet. go sit get wet. under a tree. Yep, yep, just be in the rain. Yep, because this, this is no bueno. <laughs> Inside was a little vestibule with walls from which the plaster was falling. No, I don't like it. And through the doorway came a faint but peculiarly hateful odor. No, I don't like oh, it. It smells bad, too. <laughs> it smells bad. <laughs> I entered, carrying my bicycle, and closed the door behind me. Ahead rose a narrow staircase flanked by a small door, probably leading to the cellar, while to the left and right were closed doors leading to rooms on the ground floor. He's just describing walking into any New York apartment building. Right. <laughs> so true. Yeah, the, the windows are gross. It smells bad. Yeah. I'm carrying my bicycle. <laughs> yeah. There's nowhere really to yeah. put it. There are doors and a staircase <laughs> right in front of me. It's a little cramped. He's just walking into a New York apartment building. That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Leaning my cycle against the wall, I opened the door at the left and crossed into a small, low-ceilinged chamber but dimly lighted by its two dusty windows and furnished in the barest and most primitive possible way. It appeared to be a kind of sitting room, for it had a table and several chairs, and an immense fireplace above which ticked an antique clock on a mantel. Books and papers were very few, and in the prevailing gloom I could not readily discern the tiles. No, the titles. <laughs> the titles. Could have been tiles, though. What interested right, me so was I the uniform. Say most New York apartments I've been in do not have a fireplace. Although the we're already a little classier. The the bare and primitive furnishings sounds like most of the <laughs> apartments I lived in 
during my college age years. <laughs> yep. Beanbag chairs and crates for tables. Honestly, if I can ever afford to move to New York, that's that's still what I'm going to be sitting on now. <laughs> Beanbag chairs and crates for tables. Hey, they function. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and oh, God. for the record, frisbees cheaper than plates. I knew you were going to say that too. Remember Parks and Recreation where they're eating chili off of Frisbees? Yeah. <laughs> Just picture that. Well, that's the other thing is Frisbees, they've got a little bit of a lip. So they can double yeah, like as, a bowl. as either yeah. a very shallow bowl <laughs> or a sort of deep plate. Right. And then when you're done with your food, you can clean it off and go play. <laughs> or if you have a dog, when you play Frisbee with the dog, they're going to be super excited. That's true. What interested me was the uniform air of archaism as displayed in every visible detail. Most of the houses in this region I had found rich in relics of the past, but here the antiquity was curiously complete, for in all the room I could not discover a single article of definitely post-revolutionary date. <laughs> everything, is, everything is pre-revolution. Had the furnishings been less humble, the place would have been a collector's paradise. As I surveyed this quaint apartment, I felt an increase in that aversion first excited by the bleak exterior of the house. Just what it was that I feared or loathed, I could by no means define. But something in the whole atmosphere seemed redolent of unhallowed age, of unpleasant crudeness, and of secrets which should be forgotten. All right, hang on. <clears throat> we are going to go redolent. <gasps> redolent, Okay strongly reminiscent or suggestive of oh although also appropriately fragrant or sweet smelling wow that is actually kind of perfect yeah because it could be the place smelled old or like it felt it, it felt, felt old. old yeah that's a really oh, good word good. choice all right dude yeah <clears throat> all right <laughs> i felt disinclined to sit down and wandered about examining the various articles which i had noticed the first object of my curiosity was a book of medium size lying upon the table and presenting such an antediluvian aspect that I marveled. That was an SAT word. I remember learning that word. Antediluvian? <laughs> yeah. Do, do you remember what it meant? No, I just remember learning it. But no, I don't know what it means. <laughs> antediluvian? I remember the, Hang on. I just know that I, I know that I knew it at one point in my life. I'm going to try to you put it together. Feeling? Antediluvian... <laughs> Seems like against flooding. You want me to tell you? Ah. Yes, of before the flood. Of or belonging to a time before the biblical before. flood. Good for you. Diluvian. I didn't know that meant flood. Yeah. I, I thought anti would be against, but it's anti, not yeah, anti. Yeah. Anti-diluvian. Anti yeah, yeah. A-N-T-E, yeah. not A-N-T-I. Yeah. Well, and also it also says humorous, ridiculously old fashioned, which also works. Antediluvian pre-flood. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, and that's clearly how it. he's using it. He's not actually trying to say that the stuff in this house is. Yeah. 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 5,000 years old. Right. He's like, this book was mad old. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's so like it was... saying that lady was older than dirt. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. She was at least forever. <laughs> so, the first object of his curiosity is a book lying upon the table and presenting such an antediluvian aspect that I marveled at beholding it outside of a museum or a library. 
<laughs> it was bound in leather with metal fittings and was in an excellent state of preservation, being altogether an unusual sort of volume to encounter in an abode so lowly. When I opened it to the title page, my wonder grew even greater, for it proved to be nothing less rare than Pijafetta's account of the Congo region, written in Latin from the notes of the sailor Lopex and printed at Frankfurt in 1598. There's a lot going on there. Okay. Okay. So it's an account. It's a really old account of of the Congo. Congo. Right. I had often heard of this work with its curious illustrations by the brothers of the cry. Hence, for a moment, forgot my uneasiness in my desire to turn the pages before me. The engravings were indeed interesting drawn wholly from imagination and careless descriptions. Nor would I soon have closed the book had not an exceedingly trivial circumstance upset my tired nerves and revived my sensation of disquiet. What annoyed me was merely the persistent way in which the volume tended to fall open of itself at plate... Well, it says XII, and I had to take a second. (laughs) Twelve. At plate twelve, which represented... Detail, a butcher's shop of the cannibal Anziques. I experienced some shame in my susceptibility to so slight a thing, but the drawing nevertheless disturbed me, especially in connection with some adjacent passages descriptive of Anzique gastronomy. No, that's fair. <laughs> you can be freaked out by cannibals. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I had turned to a neighboring shelf and was examining its meager literary contents, an 18th century Bible, a pilgrim of like period, illustrated with grotesque woodcuts and printed by the almanac maker Isaiah Thomas, the rotting bulk of Cotton Mather's Magnalia Christi Americana, and a few other books of evidently equal age. So those are the meager contents. Yeah. Like a Bible and these like old tomes. Bunch of old ass books. <laughs> this guy, this guy is a snob. <laughs> when my attention was aroused by the unmistakable sound of walking in the room overhead. I just got to chill. <laughs> well, he did oh, just God, walk into that. someone's house. I hate this. I hate this. And started this. poking okay. around their personal uh, library. Uh, okay. At first, astonished and startled, considering the lack of response to my recent knocking at the door, I immediately afterward concluded that the walker had just awakened from a sound sleep and listened with less surprise as the footsteps sounded on the creaking stairs. I, I would be so scared. This man is unfazed. It's a very different. It's a very different time, though, right? We're looking at eighteen. What did he say? Eighteen ninety-six or something like that. Ninety-six. Yeah. Um, yeah. When like people just showed up at their neighbor's house, it's true. Strangers would walk around the neighborhood. Like, yeah, that's true. Now, if there's a knock at the door, I go ah, hide behind like, the couch. Ah. <laughs> right. Like, fucking, no, I'm like let me. You know, you don't even call me without texting first, let alone show up at yeah. the damn door. <laughs> so true. <laughs> yeah, a phone call out of the blue feels so invasive. Yeah. Like, I don't want anyone coming to my home. <laughs> the tread was heavy, yet seemed to contain a curious quality of cautiousness. A quality which I disliked the more because the tread was heavy. <laughs> when I had entered the room, I had shut the door behind me. Now, after a moment of silence during which the walker may have been inspecting my bicycle in the hall, I heard fumbling at the latch and saw the paneled portal door swing open again. In the doorway stood a person of such singular appearance that I should have exclaimed aloud, but for the restraints of good breeding. Old, white-bearded, and ragged, my host possessed a countenance and physique which inspired equal wonder and respect. 
His height could not have been less than six feet, and despite a general air of age and poverty, he was stout and powerful in proportion. His face, almost hidden by a long beard which grew high on the cheeks, seemed abnormally ruddy and less wrinkled than one might expect, while over a high forehead fell a shock of white hair, little thinned by the years. His blue eyes, though a trifle bloodshot, seemed inexplicably keen and burning. So it's Santa. It's Santa. <laughs> It's Santa, yeah. It's Santa, but for but his heart, creepy Santa. But creepy, yeah. Wait, didn't you say this author said he'd stop believing in God when he stopped believing in Santa? Yeah. Oh, he's got <laughs> Santa issues. He's got Santa issues. <laughs> okay, let's dive in. But for his horrible unkemptness, the man would have been as distinguished-looking as he was impressive. This unkemptness, however, made him offensive, despite his face and figure. Of what his clothing consisted, I could hardly tell, for it seemed to me no more than a mass of tatters surrounding, surmounting a pair of high, heavy boots, and his lack of cleanliness surpassed description. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's the smell. Yep. The appearance of this man, and the instinctive fear he inspired, prepared me for something like enmity, so that I almost shuddered rise and a sense of uncanny incongruity when he motioned me to a chair and addressed me in a thin, weak voice, full of fawning respect and ingratiating hospitality. His speech was very curious, an extreme form of Yankee dialect I had thought long extinct. Oh boy. And I studied it close. <laughs> Revenge. Thanks, Ken. <laughs> and I studied it closely as he sat down opposite me for conversation. All right. <laughs> Here we go. Is Yankee Irish? What's Yankee? What am I doing? Yankee? <laughs> no, Yankee, Yankee is like Massachusetts. Yankee's just like Northerner. It's a New England Catch. accent. Okay, got it. Catched in the rain, be ye? He greeted. Glad ye was nigh the house and had the sense to come right in. I calculate I was asleep, else I'd heard you. I ain't as young as I used to be, and I need a powerful sight of naps nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming off a little Midwestern, but I'm trying. That's all right. Traveling fur? Traveling fur? <laughs> I hain't seen many folks along this road since they took off the Arkham stage. <laughs> God. He's, I replied he's swinging, that I was swinging going, a little south now. I, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Leave me alone. I replied that I was going to Arkham and apologized for my rude entry into his domicile, whereupon he continued. Glad to see ya, young sir. New faces is scarce around here, and I ain't got much to cheer me up these days. <laughs> Guess you hail from Boston, don't you? I never been there, but I can tell a town man when I see him. We had one for district schoolmaster in 84, but he quit sudden, and no one ne'er heard on him since. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. Oh, God. Oh, my laughing is just in character, because the next sentence is, Here the old man lapsed into a kind of chuckle, and made no explanation when I questioned him. He seemed to be in aboundingly good humor, yet to possess those eccentricities which one might guess from his grooming. For some time he rambled on with an almost feverish geniality, when it struck me to ask him how he came by so rare a book as Pijafetta's Renum Congo. 
The effect of this volume had not left me, and I felt a certain hesitancy in speaking of it, but curiosity overmastered all the vague fears which had steadily accumulated since my first glimpse to the house. He's like, all right, dude, we got to talk about the cannibals. We've got to talk about these cannibals. <laughs> to my relief, the question did not seem an awkward one, for the old man answered freely and volubly. Oh, that Afriky book, Captain Ebenezer... <laughs> Afriky, Captain Ebenezer Holt traded me that in 68, him as was killed in the war. Something about the name of Ebenezer Holt caused me to look up sharply. I had encountered it in my genealogical work, but not in any record since the revolution. I wondered if my host could help me in the task at which I was laboring, and resolved to ask him about it later on. He continued, Ebenezer was on a Salem merchantman for years and picked up a sight of queer stuff in every port. He got this in London, I guess. He used to like to buy things at the shops. I was up to his house on, on, once. I was up to his house once on the hill trading horses when I see this book. I relished the pictures, so he give it on in a swap. Tis a queer book. Here. Leave me get on my spectacles. <laughs> the old man fumbled. I mean, I don't even know anymore. The old man fumbled among his rags, producing a pair of dirty and amazingly antique glasses with small octagonal lenses and steel bows. 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 Steel. Steel bows. The, the, Thank you. Like the glasses arms. Oh, right. I don't wear glasses. Sorry. Yes. Steel bows. Johnny these. He reached for the volume on the table and turned the pages lovingly. Ebenezer could read a little of this. Tis Latin, but I can't. I had two or three schoolmasters read me a bit and pass on Clark. Him, they say, got drowned in the pond. Can you make anything out of it? <laughs> I told him that I could and translated for his benefit a paragraph near the beginning. If I erred, he was not scholar enough to correct me, for he seemed childishly pleased at my English version. <laughs> oh, that's like so condescending and nice. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I His feel like this guy's creepy enough that I'm not super worried about him being condescending to him. Yeah, 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 you're right. I feel like bad things are going to happen. I don't know. His proximity was becoming rather obnoxious, yet I saw no way to escape without offending him. Always too close. I was amused at the childish fondness of this ignorant old man for the pictures in a book he could not read, and wondered how much better he could read the few books in English which adorned the room. This revelation of simplicity removed much of the ill-defined apprehension I had felt, and I smiled as my host rambled on. Oh no, his guard's down now. He's starting to like him, that's Queer. a problem. He's starting to like him. Queer how pictures can set a body thinking. Take this in here near the front. Hey, you ever seen trees like that with big leaves a flopping over and down? And then, man, they do beat all. Some of these here critters looks like monkeys or half monkeys and half men, but I never heard here to nothing like this one. Here he pointed to a fabulous creature of the artist, which one might describe as a sort of dragon with the head of an alligator. <laughs> but now I'll show you the best one over here nigh the middle. The old man's speech drew the old man's speech grew a trifle thicker, and his eyes assumed a brighter glow, but his fumbling hands, though seemingly clumsier than before, were entirely adequate to their mission. 
The book fell open almost of its own accord and as if from frequent consultation at this place. Ah, to the repellent twelfth plate showing a butcher's shop amongst the antique cannibals. Even reading that page over and over. He seems My a little sense too of rest- interested in that. Yep. yep, exactly. My sense of restlessness returned. Yes, I think it mm-hmm. should. <laughs> though, I d- though I did not exhibit it. The especially bizarre thing was that the artist had made his Africans look like white men. The limbs and quarters hanging about the walls of the shop were ghastly, while the butcher with his axe was hideously incongruous. But my host seemed to relish the view as much as I disliked it. What do you think of this? Ain't never seen the like hereabouts, eh? When I see this, I tell Deb Holt, that's something to stir you up and make your blood tickle. When I read in scripture about slaying, like them Midianites was slew, I kinder think things, but I ain't got no picture of it. Here a body can see all there is to see. Oh, all there is to it. I suppose tis sinful, but ain't we all born and living in sin? That feller being chopped up gives me a tickle every time I look at him. Ah! Ah! <laughs> Dear listener, if it's raining <laughs> and you walk into a house... And a smelly old man starts talking about chopping people up and thinking it's funny. Maybe don't be there anymore. I was literally going to stop you when you said if it's raining and you see a house and you go in. I was like, don't just don't just don't go in. But like this is Uh this is this is quickly becoming one of those situations where it's like, no, don't stand on ceremony. Don't worry about his feelings. Don't be just Mm -mm. leave. Just leave. It's okay to get wet. You're not a witch, you won't melt, I assume. He says. It gives him a tickle every time he looks at it. I hate to keep looking at him. See where the butcher cut off his feet? There's his head on that bench with one arm side of it, and the other arm's on the other side of the meat block. As the man mumbled on in his shocking ecstasy, the expression on his hairy, spectacled face became indescribable, but his voice sank rather than mounted. My own sensations can scarcely be recorded. All the terror I had dimly felt before rushed upon me actively and vividly, and I knew that I loathed the ancient and abhorred creature so near me with with an infinite intensity. His madness, or at least his partial perversion, seemed beyond dispute. He was almost whispering now, with a huskiness more terrible than a scream, and I trembled as I listened. As I... I know, I know, I know, I don't want to read this. (laughs) But I will. I'm committed. I'm committed to the listeners. As I says, tis queer how pictures sets you thinking. Do you know, young sir, I'm right sought on this and here. After I got the book off Ab, I used to look at it a lot, especially when I heard Passion Clark rant on Sundays in his big wig. Once I tried something funny. Here, young sir, don't get scared. All I done was to look at the picture afore I killed the sheep for market. Killing sheep was kinder, more fun after looking at it. The tone of the old man now sank very low, sometimes becoming so faint that his words were hardly audible. 
I listened to the rain and to the rattling of the bleared, small-paned windows, and marked a rumbling of approaching thunder quite unusual for the season. Once a terrific flash and peal shook the frail house to its foundations, but the whisperer seemed not to notice it. Killing sheep was kinder, more fun, but do you know, it wasn't quite satisfying. Queer how a craven gets a hold on you. As you love the Almighty, young man, don't tell nobody, but I swear to God, that picture began to make me hungry for victuals I couldn't raise nor buy. Here, sit still, what's ailing you? I didn't do nothing. Only I wondered how it would be if I did. Mm. They say meat makes blood and flesh and gives you new life. So I wondered if it wouldn't make a man live longer and longer if it was more the same. But the whisperer never continued. The interruption was not produced by my fright, nor by the rapidly increasing storm amidst whose fury I was presently to open my eyes on a smoky solitude of blackened ruins. It was produced by a very simple, though somewhat unusual, happening. The open book lay flat between us, with the picture staring repulsively upward. As the old man whispered the words, More the same, a tiny splattering impact was heard, and something showed on the yellowed paper of the upturned volume. I thought of the rain and of a leaky roof, but rain is not red. On the butcher's shop of the Anzique cannibals, a small red spattering glistened picturesquely, lending vividness to the horror of the engraving. The old man saw it and stopped whispering even before my expression of horror made it necessary saw it, and glanced quickly toward the floor of the room he had left an hour before. I followed his glance, and beheld just above us on the loose plaster of the ancient ceiling, a large, irregular spot of wet crimson, which seemed to spread even as I viewed it. I did not shriek or move, but merely shut my eyes. A moment later came the titanic thunderbolt of thunderbolts, blasting that accursed house of unutterable secrets and bringing the oblivion which alone saved my mind. The end. The fuck? Oh, oh my god. Oh my god. So the house was struck by lightning that was that was scary so the house was struck by lightning but okay i gotta go back and dissect it blasted that accursed house and it brought the oblivion which saved his mind so did this lightning bolt kill him or was this a dream and he woke up or it i was like is he writing this from beyond the grave or or it like electrocuted him and knocked him out and that's what oh, kept okay. him from having to fully process what he's dealing with. Right. I'm not sure. Right. And then presume, I mean, because uh, that guy killed someone upstairs. Well, so I'm, uh, I'm putting puzzle well, pieces together. Yeah. Um, Very nice callback to puzzles. Thank you. Thank as you. A thematic, as a thematic yeah, tie I, to I the tried. episode. Um, yeah. This guy. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's 1896 right now. 
Uh-huh. This guy bought the book from a trader of some kind in the late 1700s. Okay. And since then has been extending his life through cannibalism. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. And the red spot is his most recent victim. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wow. Spooky. Mm. Right. Cause he did, cause he said, when I got the book, it made me think, well, wouldn't it, you know, what would happen if I, and so clearly he's done this a fair amount. Now, wow. So for, I'm, I, and I'm sorry to listeners if that wasn't clear because I was reading it in that crazy accent, but it's written crazy. So I, I tried to read what was on the page, crazy. but, but, but yeah, you're right. You're yeah. Right. Wow. That's crazy. Which explains why like all of his stuff has such a, a, old sort of antique archaic feel about it and why his accent is a a yankee accent that is no longer used right because it's old it's so old because he shouldn't be alive because he shouldn't still be talking because he was probably in his (laughs) 30s or 40s when he traded for this book 120 years ago Ooh, gross. Wow, that was ooky spooky. That was fun, though. I mean, it was really well written. Yeah. And all the stuff in the beginning now about him being like, fuck old houses in New England. I'm like, you know what? I get it. I get it now. Like, I hate every house that looked like that, too. If I had if I had one time gone into one and encountered a cannibal, <laughs> I'd be like, you know what? Fuck New England. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out of here. Not cool. <laughs> Not cool at all. <laughs> And it's not an attack on Boston because the narrator was from Boston. It's an attack on New England right. small towns. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, oh, so what'd you think, listeners? Did you enjoy that one? Um, I did. I found it unsettling <laughs> uh, in, in a yeah. delightful sort of way. Um, n- <laughs> nice little uh, Valentine's Day story there. <laughs> <laughs> is this the, is this the episode closest to Valentine's Day? Uh, um, it's I think it's going to be the last one before Valentine's Day. Hang on. Oh well, in that case, everyone, happy Valentine's Day. Um, <laughs> very incongruous with the story, oh, but no, never mind. You. I lied. Valentine's oh, okay. Day is is n- next Monday. Oh, I so it, it is. Back. So it is the last episode before Valentine's Day, but then we've got the next episode drops the day after. I take it forward again. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day, um, everyone. Um, I here are my thoughts on Valentine's Day. Here, I'm just gonna give them All to right. you. I love Valentine's Day. I I understand when people are like, oh, it's it's capitalism. It's just about selling chocolate, whatever. Fine. And I don't love when people put pressure on it to be a romantic holiday. Like if you're single, you don't have to feel sad on Valentine's Day because Valentine's Day celebrates love in all forms. It doesn't just have to be romantic love. And every Valentine's Day, I buy myself a bag of jelly beans because I love me and he loves jelly beans. So that's, that's what I do. So everyone just like love yourselves and love each other. And who doesn't love a day to celebrate love? It's great. Yeah. And uh, it's all about, the the imagery is all about hearts, so I suppose in that respect, this story is very appropriate. No, 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 don't <laughs> link it. No, no. 
I don't want it. No, don't link it back to the story at all. <laughs> separate thought. Separate thought. <laughs> uh, so let us know what you thought about that story. Um, and I suppose what you think about Valentine's Day. Uh, yeah. yeah. Let us know what you think about Valentine's Day. Shoot an email to 5050artsproduction at gmail.com or a message to any of our social media platforms. Uh, just look for Campfire Classics and, and send a message there. And when you do, shoot us uh, the secret passcode along with whatever else you say. And this week's secret passcode is coming for Boston. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that's all I got. You got anything else to say before we sign off for the week? No. I love you all. See you next time. And on that note... Until next week, this has been Campfire Classics, where we try to read those books that look really good on your shelf. Woo-hoo.